and welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of Casting the Runes. I'm Catherine McLaughlin. I'm Jonathan Hatful. And I'm Sarah Dobbs. Today we're going to be talking about The Shape of Water, uh, which has just won uh, Best Picture of the Year at the Oscars, where Guillermo del Toro picked up Best Director, Alexandra Desplat won the Best Score, and it got Best Production Design, and we think it was worthy of all those wins. And we're going to just have a massive love-in today for The Shape of Water, and we're very happy you can join us. Yay! Yeah. I think we need like a round of applause or something. Yeah. <laughs> well done on winning all those Oscars. Good yeah. work. Good work. Um, it was really nice to... I didn't actually stay up and watch it. I was going to because all of the... Like, obviously, Get Out was up and The Shape of Water was up. And I was very excited, but I didn't. I got up at six in the morning, <laughs> saw the results and was very happy. Yeah, did um, Yeah. Uh, so, Sarah, do you want to, like, talk about just... If you haven't seen the film, just going to a little bit of the plot, because you wrote a lovely review about why you liked it. Oh, thank you. Um, If you haven't seen The Shape of Water, then I suggest that you just press pause and go to your nearest cinema right now, because it's (laughs) still on. Like, what are you doing? Just go to the cinema and watch it. Um, But yeah, basically, it is the story of uh, Elisa, played by Sally Hawkins, who is a mute cleaner at a government facility where they are keeping a, a mysterious amphibian man they're intending to use it for um, creepy government reasons, creepy government war-related reasons, because we're set in the 60s and it's like middle of the Cold War. Um, and Elisa falls in love with the creature. She manages to communicate with him, despite the fact that obviously neither of them can talk, and hatches a plan to uh, save him from these nasty government people, including Michael Shannon, who is the nastiest government person <laughs> possibly that there's ever been. Um, so it's... It does have that kind of creature from the Black Lagoon, or I guess um, it's more like Revenge of the Creature and that the creature's been captured and they're trying to do experiments on him and figure out what he is and how they can use him. Uh, but really, it's just a fairy tale about two people or two two entities um, falling in love. It's just a straight up love story in much the same way as Crimson Peak was just a love story, really. Um, mm. This is a love story, but with a monster. Um, so I, I first saw this... Uh... Uh, London Film Festival uh, on the massive screen in Odeon West End mm. but uh, what was a lovely treat was that Guillermo del Toro was there for a screen talk mm. um, so when, when you mentioned uh, Creature from Black Lagoon that's what he said he said he watched that film and he always really really felt for the creature and wanted to make a story for him because he thought it was unfair that these people had come and invaded his environment yeah. and upset him and yeah (laughs) and he wanted to see the creature get the girl but also he always really wanted Sally Hawkins for the role this is I mean this is what he said at the talk and apparently she was writing some book or screenplay about a boy who lived underwater a fish boy or something so there was all these lovely little things that came together like it was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, there is I mean there's definitely a lot going on with the whole Russian spy subplot and obviously the government stuff and Elisa's next door neighbour is um a closeted gay man and he's kind of struggling to get obviously we're in the sixties, so we're also at the, the midst of like the civil rights movement and her best friend is uh, played by Octavia Spencer and she's got a really horrible abusive husband so there's lots and lots yeah. of stuff going on with all the different characters in the world but it is a Guillermo del Toro film so everything is kind of incredibly gorgeous in that slightly gothic way I mean I feel like 
uh, of his other films, the one it sort of looks the most like is probably Pan's Labyrinth that kind of has a similar... Well, I guess they all do. He's got a very distinctive style and very careful eye for production design and visuals. But yeah, I feel like it's it's probably most similar to Pan's Labyrinth. There's one, there's one line in the film that I've actually had a conversation with a few people about. Mm. Um, so he goes on about the past was red, but the future's green. Mm. Now, um, people have sort of suggested that he was referring to Crimson Peak and obviously that was a very red kind of that had a very red palette and this is a very green kind mm. of turquoisey palette but I kind of thought he was maybe referring to like cold hard cash green yeah like possibly. The rise of capitalism but I don't know I don't know what you, your interpretation of that is oh I, I mean I think you could probably read into a hell of a yeah. lot I do love that color coding that he does like yeah. we talked about it in our reasons we love crimson peak section a lot about how things are color coded and this film is so color coded like everything with um Elisa and the I want to say the creature he's not the creature but he is the creature now um it's kind of like teal and then there's this very bright artificial green that shows up in mm. um the pies that they sell at the local pie yeah. shop that are really horrible <laughs> 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 and like the sweets that Michael Shannon eats and then everything that Michael Shannon's horrible nasty character uh Strickland his name is um he's all very sort of orange when you see his home life it's orange so it's kind of the exact opposite of Elisa and her lover um, and I just sort of love that, how he's always so particular about his colours and how everything mm. looks. I don't really know about the future being, I don't know, I don't have a theory. I hadn't thought about it in relation to Crimson Peak, I will be honest. Okay. But that's interesting. I don't know if it's that meta, is it? I don't know. I'm just, just I thought it was very, <laughs> int- I, it just, it was a line that kind of, yeah, know, caught me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just um, interesting, I guess, that he's that blatant about explaining you, like, that, that that's yeah. <laughs> in his own film because you see those things um and i guess there's because red isn't bad in this film i guess there's a lot of like nostalgia there's the thing where elisa goes and buys herself a pair of red shoes when she falls in love yeah um and the way that like crimson peak red is always kind of bad and evil and scary i don't think that's it here it's more kind of nostalgia and romance i guess yeah well yeah the red shoes yeah as, yeah, as yeah, yeah. Literally, literally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's all just so crammed with kind of references to things, and especially kind of classic cinema and mm. various ways that that affects. Like, Elisa literally lives above a very gorgeous-looking cinema that it's always kind of empty, and and that's very sad that it's abandoned and kind of dusty and and decaying, but still gorgeous. And there's like so much allusion to to classic monster movies and just movies in general, and the way that like cinema helps misfits come together i guess yeah and i love the scene where the water trickles down into the cinema i just like oh it's almost too much to bear like the <laughs> seams of cinema coming yeah apart yeah oh anyway <laughs> well there's that amazing shot of the amphibian man standing in the cinema like amongst all the empty seats that i think they used that yeah. for their um when they when they won the oscar on their twitter that was like that obviously was like that it was really useful that you had that shot <laughs> <laughs> so when i was watching the film mm. you know the uh, richard jenkins and sally hawkins are watching a film on their little tv yeah and it's hello frisco hello and they're playing the song you'll never know mm. but that also that won an oscar for best song i just yeah. love that little <laughs> uh point but yeah i've never seen hello frisco hello no me i was in i was trying to desperately like what what was that film that's all i like because <laughs> there's so many references throughout i was just like what's that what's that i yeah. need to see that now yeah 
you almost feel like it needs to come with like a, a homework pack like you need to watch yeah. all these films so you can spot everything <laughs> <laughs> um did you see his oscar speech yes it was very cute it was it was really touching and i i just i'm I know that there have been millions of gifts made of it, but I'm not going to ever get over the bit where he like checks the envelope to make sure they've definitely won Best Picture. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan? I saw it at London Film Festival and I went to see it again uh, last week. And I had that kind of, am I going to love it as much as the first time worry? Mm. Um, and I really did. It was really just beautiful. And I think the same bits that got me the first time got me again just as hard the second time. Um, it's that thing like Sally Hawkins is one of those actors I think like Olivia Coleman's another one where there's just such a pure uh, like emotional connection between her and the audience like if she's crying I feel like I need to cry as well kind of mm. thing Yeah. so that speech when she's talking to Richard Jenkins about um, we need to rescue him and sort of uh, that thing of like he sees me as I am yeah. all that stuff it's so beautifully performed and affecting and um but then like this kind of i think i was just really struck again by how good michael shannon is as well he's just he's just fantastic and he's got like so much i think you were were talking earlier about the sort of um like the civil rights stuff Mm. and uh the kind of institute and this kind of evil of the age stuff that Michael Shannon kind of just has to do all of it yes. pretty much. He needs to encapsulate kind of misogyny and racism and like violence and just cruelty. And like no one else, I think, I think there's many people who can do it and be kind of as as watchable, I guess. Like he's just, he's horrendous, but he's so <laughs> interesting. Like you just kind of want to know what's going on in his head. He's complicated as well. He's not like a monster. He, well, he's a monster, but he's... There's, there's there's a lot going on and like you, I, I love that we follow him home and we see what he's like at home and kind of see all his weaknesses and like fears and stuff it's just and it's like weird little like motivational mantras yeah. and not washing his hands twice in the bathroom because that's what weak men do yeah I was gonna say I love that that's his character intro is like we meet him when he's just like going to the toilet and he just the way he's just, just how he stands urine. at the urinal with his like hands on his hips is just amazing it's like it just I think the everything. sound design on that as well is really good there's just sort of like a splatter <laughs> At this point, we should just admit that we're just going to talk everything about this film and there are going to be spoilers everywhere. So like I said before, if you haven't seen it yet, just go see it because just just go see it. You need to do that. <laughs> I think it's really cool that like it has won so many awards because um, like we've obviously been kind of waiting to do an episode on this for a while because we knew that we were going to and that we all loved it. And we just kind of been sitting on it and it was like, it got nominated for all the BAFTAs and we're like, oh, is it going to win? And then it won all the BAFTAs and it got nominated for the Oscars mm-hmm. and we're like, it's going to win. And then, yeah, it did. Um, yeah, so now it's like, okay, vindicated. Like, <laughs> we don't have to be <laughs> as defensive as we kind of did, I guess, with Crimson Peak where we were like, no, it is good, listen. But now it's like, well, everyone says it's amazing, so... You know that like lots of people are going to rediscover Crimson Peak now. It's like, oh, by the way, like everyone slept on Crimson Peak. It's like we fucking did. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I noticed that in, in I actually I won't name names, but I noticed the high-profile national critic slipped a uh, Crimson Peak's underrated into his review of <laughs> State of Water. It's like, <laughs> yeah, not underrated by everyone. <laughs> Not, this, not these guys. Not this podcast. Because no. no. I was looking up like what has 
uh, Del Toro been nominated for Oscars wise before, and it's literally just Pan's Labyrinth that got a load of. Num- mm-hmm. I mean, it won three Oscars. He didn't he didn't get Best Picture or anything, but it, it got. Um, I think cinematography and makeup and something else. So it, it did get some, and it got six nominations. But since then, it's been like just sleeping. I mean, like you know, Pacific Rim needed <laughs> more, more acknowledgement. It's justice for Pacific Rim. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about the screenplay because mm. obviously, so Vanessa Taylor co-wrote. Yeah, co-wrote. I don't really know much about her apart from the fact that she wrote the Divergence screenplay, yeah. which is terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know much more about? I only know her? what I read in I think a Jezebel interview with her. So she had okay. written for Game of Thrones, and I think that's where Del Toro came across her, and then like got in touch and was like, "I've got this story, I need your help." And they didn't really. Mm. I think they didn't meet. They just sort of passed it back and forth and worked on it separately. But oh, like wow. you know sending stuff so she, he'd write a bit and then she'd kind of go in and take bits out and add bits in and, and, and go from there yeah I don't really know much about her either but um, based on this I guess we will probably go watch the next thing that she writes yeah mm. definitely um, Aladdin oh yeah. mm. <laughs> maybe maybe oh. the next one, the one after that <laughs> <laughs> I am really looking forward to Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio but anyway next Shape of Water Next subject. <laughs> the music, the score. Okay, so the scene where she brings in her record player mm. to share it with him. Mm. Um, but just that scene got me so hard. And I know Jonathan's got a real, like, really hates eggs. Uh, <laughs> I do. I was, wondering, I was yeah. wondering, did you find it, because it's supposed to be hugely romantic and gorgeous. Were you just sitting there, like, <laughs> bring you over? Um... Like not really. Like I just okay. kind of, I was just like, I get it. You know, it's nice, but I feel like there's other sort of there's other little pack lunch treats that you could bring. <laughs> I mean, Dairyly Dunkers or something. Get some Dairyly Dunkers. Yeah, Baby Bell. Yeah, Baby Bell. Uh, Imagine be if they've been sharing Baby Bell. That would be <laughs> crazy. But he did it in Hellboy as well. He just loves eggs. Mm. He does. He I mean, does. I guess it's hard to know what amphibian type creatures eat. Cats. Well, if and we ever meet one, bell. then we'll know, I guess. <laughs> uh, I sort of invoked Pan's Labyrinth a couple of times already, but there is something that I think about with that film and this one a lot, which is the way that they both end, which is that in Pan's Labyrinth, she basically just dies. <laughs> um, and the kind of fantasy world is kind of a comfort, but it's it's definitely fantasy and not real. Mm. Um how do we feel about the way The Shape of Water ended? I think the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, they're going off to live in the sea. And then the second time I was like, oh, she's dead. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to believe that well, it has a happy has, ending. She has gills. She does have gills. Well, that's the other thing, right? So I've seen this thing going around in maybe the last week where they're like, oh, this amazing Shape of Water fan theory will blow your mind. And they're like, right fuck off but um but the theory that it was <laughs> is that like oh elisa is also a person who comes from the sea and is some kind of uh like mer creature because she obviously has the gills and she's an orphan and they mentioned that she was found in the water found in a, yeah and then they yeah. kind of brought her and obviously she doesn't speak and and i 
sort of felt that that was like not a super secret fan theory but like quite explicit in the text like you can see she has gill scars on her neck so i'm like i would like to believe that actually it's fine and it is pure fairy tale and she she is also a creature who was sort of displaced and not not where she was meant to be in our world and now she's gone back to the world that she was meant to be in and yeah i think i think it might sort of depend on I, I can see myself kind of going between opinions on that. I mm. think that's that's quite nice. That I think if I watched it another time, I might. No, I think because the first, ah, oh, the first time, I, the, the second time, I think I noticed more Michael Shannon's line about like who would do that to a child or something, mm. or like how cruel the world is, and that kind of. For some reason that line stuck with me more the second time than the first time. Mm. So maybe because I had that in my head of like, well, what if she's not actually um, supernatural in any way? What if she is just a person? Yeah. But then Amphibian Man's a god, so maybe yeah. Well, could just, yeah, that's maybe. that's what I was going to say because like I just watched the trailer again before we started recording, and um, so I noticed two things, and they kind of are contradictory with regard to the ending. One is that the trailer really plays up the Richard Jenkins voiceover. So it starts off with, you know, if I told you about her, the princess without voice. Mm. So it's all like a story that he's telling and which is kind of how Crimson Peak works as well. And that it it is a story that we're being told by someone. So there's that slightly unreliable narrator thing of like, is he just weaving a story to tell us a nice thing with a happy ending when actually things were probably pretty horrible? Like we can't entirely trust what we're seeing because we're being Mm. told a story. Um, But the other thing is the trailer really plays up the God thing. So there's a line that Michael Shannon has where he's talking about the amphibian man, where he says something about, um, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something about uh, you can't really relate to him because humans were made in God's image. And you don't think think that's what the Lord looks like or whatever it is. Like, so he's obviously something other. He's not, he's not made in God's image. But then there's the line about how where they found him in the Amazon, the people were worshipping him like a god. So I'm like, oh, you're really pushing the the sort of divine thing. Like, is he a divine creature? Like, yeah. So I don't know. So I, <laughs> I just think <laughs> like those two readings are probably equally valid, and it does depend what mood you're in. Uh, the yeah. uh, film gives you both. Yeah, because at the end, like Giles is sort of was that, is he a god? I don't know. He might be a god. He ate a cat. Like the gods are cats. <laughs> um, <laughs> But he also gave him his hair back. <laughs> he did give him his hair yeah. back. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that Michael Shannon speaks to you about, um, like, oh, we're made in the Lord, Lord's image. You don't think the Lord looks like that, do you? Yeah. And it's that horrible thing he says to Zelda as well. It's something like, um, I like, yeah, well, she says, I don't know what the Lord looks like. And he says, like, uh, the Lord looks like us, like you and me. Well, maybe a little more like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, oh God, he's such a. Oh. It's so explicit. I love that, and I, I like. I love that you can just never really accuse Del Toro of subtlety. Like he just doesn't do things. <laughs> it's just like it's right out there. It's like bright colors. It's in your face. It's like the villain is the villain, and I like. I think that was another thing that really kind of reminded me of Pan's Labyrinth. Is like the baddies in both are this like horrible military white guy. And they both kind of meet a similarly nasty fate in some ways. Like there's a scene in both of them that works. Like the, there's so in Pan's Labyrinth, there's a bit where he's sewing up his face. That, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really reminded me of like the thing that happens to Michael Shannon's hands in this. Oh, yeah. yeah, we should have a shout out to the fingers. Like it's just oh, the, I've forgotten how gooey that gets. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. It's it's just another thing that's like so out there. Like, whereas, like, he's he's literally just rotting, horrible. Rotting, yeah. (laughs) Okay. I mean, he was pretty repulsive before, and now 
now you've given now he's, that. Now he's going off, yeah. I was just thinking about the uh, first lines and the mm. closing lines. Yeah, I don't think it's a happy ending. So. Well, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> because I was just thinking, so the first lines are like, if I spoke about it, if I did, what would I tell yeah. you? And then he goes, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Uh, or perhaps I would just warn you about the truth of these facts and the tale of love and loss and the monster who tried to destroy it all. And then the last lines are that, like, he believes that they, he's basically saying, I believe that they were happy, yeah. that they were in love, and that it all went well. That's what I tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean about it being like an explicit yeah. fairy tale you're being told. And I guess the question is, yeah. what, what does he want us to take from it? Because he, he, he's kind of, yeah, I mean, he's the, he's the, del toro voice in it i guess yes yeah. he's telling us the story yeah and it is about and it um, yeah oh <laughs> now i'm just sad <laughs> no i want it to be okay i want it to be like these two strange people who like didn't fit in where anywhere they were they now found the person that they're meant to have and they found happiness i guess they did even if it was only for a brief while yeah that's true i think one of the things i really liked about that was that um the the beast or the um sorry the amphibian man doesn't become sort of like civilized or like there's a, there's a limit to like how well he's going to do on land yeah and or like or like he, or the way he can communicate with Eliza when like they're in the apartment and she's like trying to tell him how she feels and he can't like he just kind of he gets distracted by the egg or something yeah. and that seems really like affecting and I like that it's it's there's not. Like, yeah, like, like not a conclusively happy ending where they kind of find a happy medium. It's sort of like one or the other is going to happen. Either like, yeah, it's going to be happy underwater or sad underwater. Yeah, well, they're, yeah, they're either dead or they're going to... Yeah, I guess that's the thing, though, is that this movie is about people who feel like they are other than the world, that they feel like they don't fit in and people don't want them and they can't operate within the world yeah. that we've built. And this is very much like... It wouldn't be a happy ending if the ending is, oh, they learn to fit in in this horrible, mm. cruel world. Like, that's yeah. not a happy ending. If if the misfits yeah. have to change themselves to fit exactly. into normality, that isn't a happy ending. So, yeah, so the ending is that they find each other and whether that ends in death or whether that ends in going off to live in the sea. Yeah, they have to get away from this world. They can't yeah. stay in this world. Either way, this world is not where they're going to be. Hmm. I think on I think that note, like, oh. we need to talk about Michael Stolberg. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, <laughs> yeah Michael Stolberg's so good. Yeah. Um, oh, such man. a great character in this film. He plays a spy, a spy called Hofstetler, a Russian spy. And so he's infiltrated the laboratory as a scientist. But his kind of love for the creature uh, overtakes his mission. And I just think he turns in such a beautiful performance in this film. Mm. He really does. Mm-hmm. So like, understated. Yeah. As dig- I think about last night, it's that Michael Stuhlbarg dignity that he's got. Like, he does it in Call Me By Your oh, Name so as well. That it's that kind of like... <laughs> that sort of like kind dignity like, in the face of sort of like, tra- like tragedy or yeah. um, evil. It's just so... I think it's that scene like where the um like his spy masters come round and he's like in his dress shirt and pants basically and he's kind of having to figure out how whether they're gonna kill him or not and he's hiding like a butter knife. Mm-hmm. And it's just but like he's just got the same like 
dignified stunts and he's just conducting all so well and it's just oh it's it, that last like scene he has with Zelda and Eliza where they say that he's kind and it's just you can see that like how much that affects him even though he doesn't let it on yeah. so, mm. he's incredible Oh. <laughs> and then he gets fish hooked. He gets fish hooked, and it's horrible. Oh, like, that's why I think it's like, yeah, I think exactly. It's like it's wrapped up in a fairy tale, but this is fucking horrible. Yeah. And yeah, it. I found, basically, I do love this one. I've seen it three times now, and every time I watch it, something else kind of becomes apparent to me. Mm. Well, and it's all very apparent. Like if I sat down and I like wrote my notes out, Uh, (laughs) but yeah, I just, I always get swept away in it. Yeah. Every time. Do you cry every time? I cry. I really cried the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to just be left alone afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) I think it, it definitely deserved the Oscar. There are some really wrongheaded takes on the fact that, uh, Elisa's mute. But yeah. why shouldn't a woman who can't speak have a film? But anyway. also, it's not that she can't like she can't communicate. She can communicate. Yeah, she can she communicate. does communicate yeah. pretty effectively. Yeah, like, exactly. a lot of the time. She's and she gets really and the way she communicates, especially when she's uh, speaking to uh, Michael Shannon's character. Like, I love that bit where she's just like, "Fuck you." Yes, that's so good. <laughs> so good. Like she's saying thank you. <laughs> I, I keep feeling like I see a lot of takes that are sort of trying to be super kind of righteous, but actually are mm. massively wrong-headed. And that's one of them that like, oh, you can only have a woman in the lead of a of a like Oscar-winning film as she's silenced. It's like, right, no. And also like that is kind of offensive to anyone with any kind yes. of disability. Like what about exactly. deaf people, mm. mute people? Like just because she can't speak in the same way she that you can that does not doesn't mean she can't she is less of a person like go fuck yourself <laughs> but as soon as i saw it as soon as i saw that film i was like i know that's exactly what people are gonna say yeah like i knew it um but i i mean sally hawkins delivers such an excellent performance and she oh and it's oh yeah <laughs> And if, but yeah, that scene where she's talking to Rich Jenkins, it's like the ferocity of that communication is just like staggering when she's like hitting him and yeah. she's like, it's God, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like... No, that's a, that's a, that's a wrong it take. Is a, I mean, it's a wrong take that's explicitly addressed by the film. The whole thing is about like how you're, you shouldn't see her as less than. Like she's yes. railing against how people see her for this lack. And that's literally what you're writing yeah. about. Like what? how some people watch films literally like i've seen i've seen some people saying like oh she she sexually abused the creature because he couldn't consent it's like what are you doing how what did you like just go to the toilet halfway through and not come back like what are you doing so what is sally hawkins doing (laughs) stop it Oh, actually, do you know what I think is is wrong, though, and should be protested against, is that, like, for all the nominations this film has racked up, Doug Jones has not had anything for his performance. And that's so unfair. Like, he's basically the the romantic lead in it. Like, what? Like, just because he's under a load of makeup, it's not as if he doesn't do anything. He does shitloads. Gary Oldman was under a lot of makeup, wasn't he? Well, quite. Yeah. And And that film was shit. Yes. If anything, he has to work hard. Poor Doug Jones. Doug Jones should get all the awards. He's brilliant. Yeah, it's such like, um, and it is different to his other stuff as well. Because I think, like, I, when I first saw the trailer, I think like probably like a lot of 
other stupid people like me. It's like, I've kind of, oh, oh it looks a bit like Ape Sapien. I think because of the eggs as well from Hellboy, there's kind of like another similarly, or there's blue in Hellboy's kind of teal in this. Um, yeah, that it would be, it'd be similar, but it's a completely different performance. It's so sort of more... It's like stronger and so I'm trying to think of I was going to say it's more fragile because like he's so he's so scared yeah of you know the human contact because all the human contact he's had has been well in America has been so awful oh god and when they're torturing him you just you just see the blood yeah, yeah, yeah. like when they, yeah. when the, uh, Sally Hawkins is called in to clean up blood that bit just was like oh god this is so horrible mm. I think he's more otherworldly than Abe Sapien. Abe Sapien's pretty much like he's very human. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 He feels like a, yeah. He feels like a guy, but then he's also happens to be a bit bitchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like so, other bad takes are like, oh, the love story wasn't developed. Uh, like, no, you're wrong. Uh, I've seen people just I've seen people <laughs> say that it's just uh, gender swapped Splash, and like I want to kill that take the most because I hate Splash. I watched it like last year, and it's so just rapey and gross and horrible. Um, that it, which it does do a lot of the things that I feel like this film's getting criticised for. And like, no, Splash <laughs> just pretends to be like a fluffy rom com, and it's just horrible. To be clear, my disappointed noise there is I haven't seen Splash. I'm just sad that it's it's rapey. I'm, I, yeah, it wasn't sort of, I wasn't about to jump in and defend Splash. <laughs> I just feel like a lot of the uh, thrust of that film is like two men fighting over who gets to do what to this mermaid's body, which is big oh. room. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's just people being like, well, it's not realistic because it doesn't address this thing in the real world. And you're like, uh, it's a fairy tale. Like, it explicitly. I mean, so, I mean, it went, you know, even when, like, we talk about that voiceover in it calls her a princess like it mm. kind of gives you that in that language right from the beginning that it's a story about a princess and her struggles you know against the monster and the monster being michael shannon and not the Fishman. i think like the sort of the impression i got from a lot of the takes that didn't like the film uh and this could be wrong this might just be me reading twitter badly is that um sort of like it, it didn't it was a bit lightweight or something i don't know like kind of I think, and i'm sure i don't know whether it's like a genre thing or whether it's because of like just the, the, the story being relatively simple, but um, I think like, it's just a lot of quite reductive or dismissive, just sort of like oh, like shape of water, that's sort of like a bit silly or something. And I just it was quite weird that I've I had I quite rarely feel after the Oscars like oh like the thing I've been rooting for and I would never win mm. kind of won. I, I didn't see a lot of people being really happy that yeah. it won. I saw a lot of people either being snarky. Or just sort of like, oh, shape of water. And I was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get it at all. I fucking love a shape I guess, of water. <laughs> weirdly, what ha- what's happened with these Oscars is that like things that we feel should be massive underdogs kind of weren't because they were be- were actually being acknowledged for being great. Like the same thing happened with Get Out. I think we talked about this uh, mm. on another podcast where we're like, yeah, Get Out is amazing. It should win everything, but you sort of feel like it's so good. It's so like assured. It's so like it doesn't have any flaws really it's so perfect that you're like it almost doesn't need the awards <laughs> like you it, 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 hard to champion something because you're so used to kind of wanting to champion something that's like flawed but but you love it anyway like looking for those imperfections mm. and that's what makes you love it whereas these things both these films are so kind of confident like yep yeah, this is what we're doing this is where we're coming out of the gate this is you know that it, yeah you almost have that like oh I, I don't know how to feel about this and then yeah so the shape of water won like baftas and golden globes and stuff so you sort of feel like oh yeah right it's it's really successful like you don't have that yay the underdog one moment that you did like last year when moonlight because it's like oh well 
everyone's already acknowledged this is great but yeah, it, it is great that's why it's been acknowledged as being great so yeah it's a really it's a weird feeling uh, yeah i think like i thought yeah talked about it's in the christmas one as well like that sort of feeling of um oh like we're like we're still talking about this movie yeah that sort of thing of uh you're so used to the oscars being kind of dull and kind of over discussed yeah. films but we're still excited yeah. to talk about those movies that like, yeah because there was part of me that was like i think i was maybe rooting slightly more for get out and then i was like yeah but the shape of water is an amazing winner so yeah great yeah yeah i think yeah i was as well just for like the underdog thing because i was like oh I, i'm assuming like if, any, if either of them are going to win it's gonna be shape of water but i kind of hope get out will win as but well. I, I guess but, it's nice that we had two things to root for because normally it's like there are no genre films yeah, in the lineup there are no horror films that have been nominated so like i don't care what wins because this stuff is just not my genre but now it's like oh i don't know what to, there are two <laughs> i split my loyalties i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should have come prepared with like the same way we did with Crimson Peak, like 50 reasons we love this film, but it would literally be like, like just things like the fact that we're introduced to Elisa when she's masturbating in the bath and just that he gives her that kind of ownership of her own sexuality before we go into anything else. Mm. Like that was so bold. Like I don't. Yeah, I was not expecting no. that at all. I was, and yeah, weirdly, I was quite shocked. a lot of criticism of that as well, being like, oh, she can't talk, but she can have a wank. That's how you d- define your characters. And it's like, what? how are you so wrongheaded? Like, I think that I thought that was a really 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 brave and like kind of awesome way to introduce a character again uh, the fact that it involved an egg timer was kind of funny as well but also <laughs> that it was just like this is normal yeah this is part of daily routine exactly yeah but, yeah. Yeah. yeah but also and it was in the bath full of water so it's kind of foreshadowing yeah. and yet more evidence that she's actually like some kind of mermaid yeah <laughs> i think yeah, just a random thing that I lo- yeah i love the, the sweets yes. that my needs and <laughs> I kept expecting like there to be some kind of like filling slash broken tooth scenario because they look quite like yeah. dangerous for teeth. But um, yeah, I just, and that speech he gives about um, like ah, uh, they like, like like people like dark chocolate or like is it, like nougat, like that kind of foo foo <laughs> shit. Um, but he likes he likes cheap uh, green candies. They do look <laughs> kind of horrible. Like yeah, you just like those those don't look nice. I yeah. kind of want one though. Like I know I think Oh, they yeah. should sell them. They should there should be all kinds of merchandise for this film. Like I want to buy a radioactive green what was it? Was it a key lime pie? I don't know. Some kind of green horrible thing. Yeah, it's a key lime yeah, pie. Yeah, the key lime pie. <laughs> they do look disgusting, the pies. Yeah, it was that like that marshmallow one that you had Isn't when he goes that, back. Everything from that pie shop was bad time. Well it was all Yeah. yeah. I love the bit where he opens a fridge and it's full of just like half eaten ones and you're like learn from your mistakes (laughs) well that's what it is it's all about like mass production and you just going along with the franchise and going oh yeah i'll have a little bit but i'm not really enjoying this it's got that line i think it's like oh it's rather sordid isn't it yeah (laughs) (laughs) and richard jenkins storyline was just so moving and like the ending of that is just horrible when he goes into the pie shop and has a conversation with the guy yeah. fancies who is just an ignorant he's monster. a racist stander yeah Ugh. yeah I did um, an interview with Richard Jenkins and he said I didn't notice it the first time but I totally noticed it the second time but uh, that it, like he um, his boss at like the graphic design company the advertising agency he like, said that they'd been in a relationship that was what he like it's not said but it's what he played oh. it as so like, when he said can I come back he meant kind of like he wants to come back like he wants to kind of be back in the relationship with him 
and there's like a lot of implied history there. So like when you're, are you still drinking? And it's like not really, it's not really important to the rest of the film, but it's just like a bit of backstory. Oh my God, that's really even more sad yeah. now. Oh, I think God. that's what's yeah. good about this film though. It does have a really simple storyline, but then it just packs in all these extra things for you to notice. So like there's yeah. a lot going on, even when there doesn't seem to be a lot going on. Like where it feels like it's being really obvious, but then there's so much more in there. But like his line is like, he's, like feeling obsolete in the workplace but obviously like he's obsolete in romance and he hasn't even had the opportunity to you know yeah. come out about mm. it it's just really sad it is really sad oh but yeah i was just like <laughs> i don't know i was the first time i watched it i was overcome with emotion of it's just a glorious sweeping involving beautiful film <laughs> Let's just say it a third time for good measure. Just go see The Shape of Water because it's wonderful. And then you can come and tell us what you loved about it as well. Um, we are on Twitter at Runescasting or you can leave a comment on SoundCloud or you can leave a review on iTunes or um, you know how to get hold of us by now. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye bye.